Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, How ADCs Are Transforming HER2 Positive Metastatic Breast Cancer. Discover the latest clinical trend is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. In this first chapter, we will be going over the role of HER2 status in metastatic breast cancer. I am Dr. Javier Cortez. Hi, and I'm Dr. Sarah Hurwitz. Hi, Sarah. So let's get started. Sarah, can you please give us some background on HER2 status? Absolutely. In the 1980s, it was discovered that about a quarter of patients diagnosed with breast cancer have an alteration in the gene for HER2 where it is amplified, leading to overexpression of the HER2 protein. This was subsequently shown to be associated with a much worse outcome compared to HER2 non-overexpressing or non-amplified breast cancers, which would have been a very sad ending to that story had a class of therapeutics not been developed to target that HER2 protein on the cell surface. The first of these, of course, was trastuzumab, first approved in 1998 for metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer. And if you fast forward now to 2021, there are eight FDA-approved HER2-targeted agents available for patients with HER2-amplified or overexpressing breast cancer. And we now have data emerging suggesting that patients diagnosed with HER2-positive breast cancer instead of having the worst prognosis, have as good a prognosis or even a better prognosis than those with HER2-negative disease because of the availability of these targeted agents. More recently, a newer class of breast cancer has been defined known as HER2-low-expressing breast cancer, meaning the tumor is not amplified for HER2, there is not overexpression of HER2, but there is a subtle or moderate expression of HER2 at the 1 plus or 2 plus level as measured by immunohistochemistry or staining. The reason this is important is not because this is a biologically distinct subtype with its own behavior, but because there are some molecules in development that may be able to use that expression of HER2 to gain access to the tumor cell and kill the tumor cells. About two-thirds of hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer have low expression of HER2, and a smaller proportion, but still significant proportion of triple negative breast cancer has also got some low expression of HER2. So this is an evolving field, and in the near future, we may have therapies that work for this subtype of breast cancer. It's great news. I think that the prognosis of patients with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer has dramatically changed over the last years. So before we wrap up, uh, Sara, can you give us one or two key takeaway messages from this chapter? Absolutely. So approximately 20% of patients have HER2-amplified or overexpressing metastatic breast cancer. We now have eight therapies that target this including three monoclonal antibodies, trastuzumab, pertuzumab, and margituximab, three tyrosine kinase inhibitors, lapatinib, neratinib, and tucatinib, and now two antibody drug conjugates, trastuzumab emtansine and trastuzumab deruxtecan. So the outcome for patients diagnosed with this subtype of breast cancer is looking quite hopeful based on the number of therapies that we have to target it. Sarah, thank you very much. 
In chapter two, we will be using a case to demonstrate optimal therapy section for the management of HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. Please stay tuned. Welcome. In the first chapter, we covered the role of HER2 status in metastatic breast cancer. In chapter two, we will be going through a case presentation to demonstrate optimal therapy selection. I'm Dr. Sarah Hurwitz. Hello, I am Dr. Javier Cortez. All right, let's get started. Here's the case. A 44-year-old female who's single felt a left breast lump on her own. Her mother was diagnosed at the age of 82 with breast cancer. A mammogram and ultrasound was done in 2017, and the left breast showed an 11 by 7 millimeter mass with no abnormally enlarged lymph nodes. A biopsy of this mass revealed invasive ductal carcinoma ER positive, PR positive, 90% and 80% respectively, grade two with a KI67 of 5%. The HER2 was two plus by immunohistochemistry, but was FISH positive. Liver, lungs, and bones were without metastases. She underwent a lumpectomy and sentinel lymph node biopsy shortly thereafter, revealing a nine millimeter stage one breast cancer. She received paclitaxel trastuzumab for 12 weeks, followed by the trastuzumab to complete a year. Tamoxifen was initiated after the chemotherapy, and she did receive radiation therapy six months later while on the trastuzumab maintenance and the tamoxifen. She was noted to have grade one AST and ALT increase, as well as an increase in her GGT, and her tumor marker was noted to be elevated. A scan was done revealing liver metastases that were small. She was offered trastuzumab mtansine. Dr. Cortez, can you discuss some of the recommendations for this patient? Well, I think this is, Sarah, a quite a rare clinical case because a priori, this patient had a quite a good prognostic breast cancer. It was very tiny, her 2 positive breast cancer based on the fish, on the ish assessment. So I think she was very nicely treated with a combination of paclitaxel trastuzumab. We know that for tiny tumors, it might have very good activity with a very small number of patients with metastasis afterwards, about 1% or so. So I think she was nicely treated. But unfortunately, five to six months later, as you described, this patient had a liver metastasis. And I think that TDM1, which is a treatment offer, is, in my opinion, the most reasonable approach to treat this, this patient. Unfortunately, this is absolutely unexpected. And I think that, again, unfortunately, we do not have any data to support the use of pertuzumab here because for pretreated patients, pertuzumab has not offered any benefit, and, at least in terms of progression of frisurmiva. So I think that TDM1 is the preferred option here. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, she did go on and receive TDM1 and did quite well with it for about a year or so when her liver enzymes again began to increase both AST and ALT as well as GGT. She began to develop a little bit of liver dysfunction with her INR going up. However, no bilirubin abnormality. Her tumor marker began to rise. A bone scan was negative. And then she underwent a liver biopsy at that point 
revealing the ER was 10%, the PR was 5%, it was a grade 2 breast cancer metastasis, and again the HER2 was 2 plus by IHC, but ISH or FISH positive with a KI67 of 15%. Now assuming, Dr. Cortez, that all the potential drugs are available to you at this point, what would you offer to this patient whose disease is progressing on TDM1? I think that we have great opportunities with uh, tucatinib, trastuzumab, and capesatevine based on the HER2 climb data, so in superiority compared with uh, trastuzumab and cape. We also can continue with any chemotherapeutic agent, eribilin or whatever, plus anti-HER2 therapies, capesatevine or trastuzumab. We can discuss the role of neratinib plus cape, or we can discuss the role of trastuzumab deruxtecan, which is an antibody drug conjugate, which has some very beautiful activity in a large phase two study. Last but not least, I would like also to highlight the potential role of margetuximab, which compared with a trastuzumab and a chemotherapy might enhance also the, or increase the progression-free survival. So I think that we have different opportunities here. In my opinion, the best two options could be to catenin-based therapy or trastuzumab deruxtecan. I think that we should not forget that the randomized trial, uh, her to climb makes that tucatinib-based therapy is a very interesting approach. But in my opinion, always in my opinion, the 61% of overall response rate and the very prolonged progression-free survival with trastuzumab deruxtecan in patients even, even heavily pretreated makes this compound as my best option. So I would go in favor of trastuzumab deruxtecan first, and I would say maybe tucatinib-based therapy as the second, as the second option. Yeah, I think your points are really well taken. Just very briefly, would your answer be different if she had a brain metastasis? That's a, that's a, that's a terrific comment. So certainly, certainly. I, I'm convinced, and we are running different trials with brain metastasis with trastuzumab deruxtecan, and, and I would really like to use it, but it is true that in the head to climb patients with brain metastasis, even patients with the novel or progressing brain metastasis were allowed to be included. And this group of patients also to catinib did much better. So I think that with the data we have today, to catinib could be a very good option for patients with progressing brain metastasis. But if stable brain metastasis, I would also go for trastuzumab deruxtecan. But again, I think both of them are very, very good approaches. So let's turn back to our patient. She um, did receive trastuzumab deruxtecan and she had normalization of her liver markers, uh, improvement of her tumor markers down to normal, PET CT and liver MRI confirmed a complete response, which I've seen with this drug as well, very phenomenal. So imagine that the patient would have had low HER2 expression, okay, is negative. Can you tell me something about the future outlook uh, for considerations around low HER2 expression? Absolutely. This patient could have, and I've seen the case where we retest at the time of liver biopsy and the IHC is 2 plus, but the FISH is negative. And in this situation, we have some very interesting clinical trials ongoing of HER2-targeted antibody drug conjugates. As we know, TDM1 does not work in HER2-low-expressing breast cancers that are not amplified. However, trastuzumab deruxtecan is showing very interesting 
phase 1b data for the HER2 low expressing breast cancers with objective response rates on the order of about 40% or more. This is very exciting given the fact that HER2 low expressing breast cancer is actually fairly common, especially in hormone receptor positive disease. So this is an area that's rich and ripe with research, and I'm looking forward to seeing data come out. Maybe we'll have another therapy available for patients defined by low expression of HER2. So uh, this has been great. Before we wrap up, Dr. Cortez, can you provide us with one key takeaway, just one from this chapter? Terrific drugs, which are already there, which are upcoming in many, many countries. Trastuzumab, Deruxtican, one of them, Tucatinib, based therapy, another one. It's a great, great, great time for patients that unfortunately will not be cured, but many of them will live for a very prolonged period of time. Thank you so much, Dr. Cortez. So in chapter three, we'll be discussing how to manage adverse events. Stay tuned. For those just turning in, you are listening to CME on Rich MD. I am Dr. Javier Cortez, and here with me today is Dr. Sarah Harvich. We are discussing how antibody drug conjugates, ADCs, are transforming HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer. Welcome. In chapter two, we walked through a clinical case presentation, and now in chapter three, we will be discussing a very important issue, how to manage adverse events in our patients with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. I am Dr. Javier Cortez. And I'm Dr. Sarah Hervitz. So, Sarah, we always have to be mindful of adverse events associated with some of the current treatment options. Can you please share with us some of your strategies to manage all these events? Absolutely. So we have mentioned in our prior chapter some of the exciting new therapies, trastuzumab deruxtecan and tucatinib combined with capecitabine and trastuzumab. Um, and we know that each of the drugs that we has, have available for HER2-positive breast cancer carries with them their own unique side effect profiles. When it comes to trastuzumab deruxtecan, I think it's important for patients to be aware of the nausea and diarrhea, as well as significant hair thinning or alopecia associated with this agent, and that clinicians carefully tailor uh, medication use to help patients mitigate this side effect, these side effects in, in terms of having antiemetics on hand. I'm personally using antiemetics up front for patients and having them be aware of the fact that hair loss is very common with this. One of the key life-threatening, potentially life-threatening side effects associated with trastuzumab deruxtecan is interstitial lung disease or pneumonitis. And so I would be very careful uh, to not put a patient on this who has a history of pneumonitis or significant pulmonary fibrosis or ILD at baseline. And I'd watch patients very, very closely, uh, advising patients to notify me if they develop any shortness of breath, dyspnea, fever, et cetera. Moreover, when looking at a patient's scan, which is typically done to assess whether their, uh, their tumor is responding to treatment when looking at the CT scan, if you begin to see ground glass opacities or infiltrates, it's important to stop the medication and reassess and consider use of steroids. So even with asymptomatic grade one pneumonitis, it's important to stop therapy and monitor very closely and stop permanently if you reach grade two. 
With tucatinib-based therapy, as with other TKIs, the main side effect we need to be aware of is diarrhea. So uh, having patients have antidiarrheal medications on home at hand and have a very good communication pathway set up with their clinician to manage it if they are developing dehydration is very key. Also, it's important to follow liver enzymes, which can sometimes be altered. And with all of these drugs, it's important to follow um, cardiac imaging and monitoring periodically, given that targeting HER2 can be associated with cardiomyopathy. So, Sara, terrific, terrific discussion. Before we wrap up, can you please provide us with some, with one, Key take away from this chapter? Be very mindful of the adverse event profile associated with the drug that you're starting and utilize that to properly select patients for a given therapy. It's not all about efficacy. It's about the therapeutic index. But unfortunately, we have to stop here. That's all the time we have today. So I would like to thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Cortez. The pleasure was all mine. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.